Well, you can take a seat and Thank you for listening you do, to this message from First Baptist back Church back of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. We are finishing chapter 2 this morning, and, and let me simply say that it's, uh, it's good to be back with you after, after being gone for a week. Um, you know, I always underestimate how weird it feels to not be in church on Sunday morning and how that messes up everything else throughout the week. So uh, like Friday, it felt like I'd, I'd had like three, uh, three Mondays le- leading up to, to Friday. So uh, I'm glad to, glad to be back with you this morning. Glad that uh, Gary Buckner was able to preach last Sunday. And um, as I shared, I'm sure he, he shared with you last week as well, he announced his retirement as our director of missions, um, effective either at the end of the year or, Lord willing, if their house sells between now and then. So uh, certainly be in prayer for, uh, for Gary and for Pat and for little Maylee as they, um, as they make their transition back to Texas and, and enter this world known as retirement, um, which for preachers just simply means that you usually move to a new loca- location and you just keep on preaching at little churches. Uh, that's usually what, what retirement looks like for, for pastors. Um, we're going through the book of Titus, and we're now just a couple of weeks away from finishing uh, this this book, two, two or three weeks away from, uh, from wrapping this up, which really wraps up kind of a longer series that we've done through the, through the entire pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and now Titus. Um, the whole point of, of the pastoral letters is, is Paul writing not necessarily to congregations, which was kind of his norm, but, but writing to pastors of congregations and, and, and helping them deal with uh, just kind of the, the various issues that arise in local churches and, and uh, helping Timothy and then Titus navigate s- some issues that they're experiencing in their church. And so we said, you know, as, as we are a part of, of what's kind of known as church revitalization, seeing a, seeing a church come back to life, um, these seem like good letters for us to go through because they, they help order some things. They, they talk about God's priorities. As we talked about the beginning of of Titus, uh, uh, biblical church leadership. What, is, what does the Bible have to say about that? At least, what are the what are kind of the normative patterns that we see throughout um, throughout the Bible? And we said that that is um, what we see is is a pattern of a plurality of elders, multiple um, men that are set aside from the church to to pastor to shepherd uh, the church. Um, and a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the importance of of uh, kind of built on the importance of biblical church leadership as we dealt with uh, the reality of false teachers and the reality of sin in the world, and that we have to keep a close watch on the teaching of the church. One of the ways that's done is by um, having a biblical church leadership in place, but, but one of the other ways that that's done is by the people in the pews, the congregation, the, the people of God, knowing what God's word says so that when there's, in, in the event that there's false teaching that's being proclaimed from the pulpit or from a place of authority, uh, the people of God are familiar enough with the, the scriptures to be able to call that out and the importance of, of that. Uh, a couple weeks ago, then we shifted from, from the role of elders and, and the danger of false teachers to really the function of the family of the faith, how we operate as members of of the body of a local church and how we're uh, to care for one another, how we're to interact with one another, how we're to understand 
that relationship. And we simply ask, you know, what, what difference does it make that, that we as believers are, are a part of a local body? And we saw the importance of that in the beginning of chapter 2. And then today, as we get into uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11, really the, the first uh, three verses that we're going to look at this morning are, are kind of the, the central point of the whole letter of Titus. This is the main thrust of it, okay? And that is simply that the gospel affects, or, or at least it should affect, how we live. And if it doesn't, then we've not rightly understood the gospel, Okay, so, so we don't want to live out of fear, but rather out of gratitude and out of thanksgiving for what God has done for us. Okay, so that sets up where we'll be this morning. Uh, so if you will, turn with me to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 11 through 15. Let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Paul's writing, and he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for the the way that your word speaks to us. How it has a tendency to hit us right where we are, right at the moment that we need to hear it. And so as we turn our attention this morning to the grace of that you've shown us, and then how we're to live in light of that grace. Will you speak powerfully through your word this morning? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. You can have a seat. So the, the title that I, that I gave this morning is simply Godly Living. Now, now again, we, we don't seek to live in such a way to earn the favor of God, that's why it's called grace, because it's a gift. A gift cannot be earned by definition. If, if, it's, if you earn it, it's no longer a gift, it's a wage. And, and God said that he has extended his grace to us in Scripture. And so, then as, as a local church gathered together on a Sunday morning, uh, my assumption is that at least most of us in here would claim that we are followers of Christ. Never want to make the assumption that that's everyone, but, but I kind of work off the assumption that most of us in here are, are gathered together because we're followers of Christ. We've chosen to gather together with a, with a local body to worship and, and to hear the word and for fellowship. So uh, I'm, I'm speaking to us this morning is how we live in light of the grace that we've experienced from God. Now, if you're, if you're here and you're not a, a follower of Christ yet, you would say you're not a believer, um, I have words for you here as well. This, this applies to you, but understand, this is not something you can earn. Like, you can't just live well enough that God goes, man, like, look at that person. Like, I don't know, I don't know how they slipped through, but here's like the crown of all my creation right here, right? Like, that's not you, okay? Um, so, so we, we live in light of the grace that has been shown to us. And, and if you're here and you, you don't have that testimony yet, my, my sincere prayer is that this morning God would, 
um, reveal sin to you, would, would convict you of your sin, that you would turn from that sin and what we call repentance and, and trust in Christ Jesus. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as we go on. First thing I want us to understand this morning, or first thing I want us to see in our text, is that we have a premise for godly living. Okay? The, the, the premise for godly living, and we see this uh, in verses 11 through 13. It says, For the grace of God has appeared. So let, let, me, let me give that to you right now, in case I haven't already explained that enough. The grace of God is your premise, right? That's the foundation for godly living. Not because I'm so good that I can live this way, but rather um, because, of, because God's grace is so good to me, I can, I'm then empowered through the Holy Spirit to live the way that God wants me to live, okay? It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that's a power-packed sentence that, that he just gave us there. Okay, in fact, we could probably spend our whole time on there. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to keep you here till 2 o'clock. But, but, but that, there's a lot of stuff that he just packed into that sentence. First of all, he said that the grace of God has appeared. And then he says it's bringing salvation for all people. See, here's, here's the truth, right? We never see in Scripture God calling his people to live in any way that he does not also provide the grace for them to live that way. So God never says in Scripture, do this, and then come see me once you've done it. As, as I've said before, right, that, that would kind of be like you going to the emergency room with, you know, a broken arm, like a bone sticking out of your body, and, and you walking into the emergency room and them going, wow, that's really bad. You know, we really don't treat injuries here, so, um, you know, if you'd go and, you know, kind of get that cleaned up and get that fixed, then come back, then we'll take care of you, right? If you ever do that, you should never go back to that emergency room again, okay? That's not the way God operates. He doesn't say, man, you know, your life is really messed up right now. If you'll, if you'll just go and clean some of that mess up, then, then come back, and then, then we can talk. No, we're, we're, we're told that he... That his grace appeared to us, and then he instructs us to deny godlessness and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. Now, now some, some people have understood verse 11 here uh, when, he said, when it says that uh, he's brought salvation to all people, right? So some have misunderstood that, to, to have that say that all people will ultimately be saved. And we, we clearly don't see that laid out in, in the rest of Scripture. So the question then is, well, what do we do with this? If, if it says bringing salvation to all people, and yet other places in the Bible, we know it, it clearly says that only those who, who place their faith and trust in Christ Jesus will be saved. Well, really what, what Paul's saying here is that the grace of God has been made available to all people. Or to put it another way, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all kinds of people. It's available to everyone, okay? We, we, would, we would say that there's no one who is cut off from the possibility of experiencing the grace of God. No one is, or no one should be excluded from access to the grace of God. 
So as opposed to the Old Testament, right, where God's focus was really on one group of people, the, the children of Israel, in, in the New Testament and, and in Christ Jesus, the grace of God has been made available to all people. This is why we put a strong emphasis on missions as Southern Baptists. This is why we pray for a missionary every Sunday morning, whether someone who's serving in a, in a church plant here in North America or, as we did this morning, a, a in the case of this morning, a, a young lady who we don't even know her, her real name, we don't even know where she is. This is why we put a strong emphasis on missions, because we believe that in the Great Commission, God commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations. And we want to see the gospel declared to every nation, to every tribe, and every tongue on earth. That's why we continue sending money to uh, organizations like the, North, or like the North American Mission Board, like the International Mission Board, because we want to see the gospel proclaimed all over the face of the earth. And then he says in verse 12, Paul gives us two, two things that this, uh, the grace of God and, and, and godly living, two ways to do that. First of all, he says, it instructs us to deny godlessness. So, so here's the thing, right? The appearance of God, or the appearance of the grace of God demands a response. And so that, that's going to tell us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts. But not, he doesn't stop there, if you notice. He doesn't tell us just, don't do these things, and then you're okay. It's not just a negative. Yeah, there's, there's some things to deny. There's some things to put aside. But then he says, not, not only are we to, to put aside things, to deny godlessness and worldly lusts, but we're to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. So here's the, here's the reality of repentance, is that we are to leave some things behind, and we then pursue new things. So, so the Christian life is not just made up of the things that we don't do. Now, that's important, especially if you uh, have a background in any kind of a church that would lean towards legalism, meaning in church growing up, you heard a lot of, well, Christians don't do this, and we don't do this, and we don't do this. And it usually probably involves something like alcohol, tobacco, and Disney, okay? Especially if you were a child in Southern Baptist life in the 90s, right? Those were, those were like the three biggies. Oh, and dancing, too. We don't, okay, so the, the four, right? We don't drink, and we don't chew, we don't go to Disney, and neither should you, right? That's the... <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so, so, but the thrust of the Christian life is not... The whole emphasis of that is not on what we don't do, but rather the things that we pursue, that we're to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way. What does that look like? It's everything that, that, that Paul's been talking about throughout this letter. As he talked about the way that we're to... Um, relate to one another within the family of faith, that's part of what it means to live in a godly way. That we not only seek to live in a way that's honoring to God, but we lead others to do the same. We deny godlessness. And we pursue godliness. And then, then he t takes it from the present and he, and he turns our attention to the future. He's, in verse 13, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So, so Paul reminds us that, that this is not just like running continually on a treadmill and getting frustrated because we're not going anywhere. Instead, he says, we turn our attention to what's coming. And that provides the motivation or should provide part of the motivation for us to live in light of these truths. So we live in light of what God has done for us. We live in light of what he's going to do for us. So even as we experience something of the greatness of of God's grace now, we know there's coming a day when we'll experience it fully. And, And Paul here clearly has in mind that day when Christ returns to gather his people home once for all. Paul will basically say the same thing and just a little bit, uh, frame it a little bit differently in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, so if you've been raised with Christ, in other words, if you've been saved, if you've come to know Christ Jesus, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Paul would tell us, listen, you, you want to know the best way to, um, to live in, in a godly way? Look to your Savior. Don't, don't, don't look at the, the world around us. Look to God. Look to God in his word for the example of how we're to live. So that's the premise, the, the premise, the, the, the foundation of why we live in a godly way is the grace of God shown to us, the grace of God that we'll experience one day in the future. And then we move to, in verse 14, to the promise of godly living, even though we just had kind of a promise, right, that uh, the talking about the, um, that day when, when Christ will appear and, and everything will, um, that, that blessed hope as, as Paul writes it. Look at Look at verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Again, he reminds us of the grace of God, right? The the assurance that, that if we've trusted in Christ, we have been redeemed. He gave himself to redeem us. Uh, now, the, the concept of, of redemption, that word redeem in the Bible, the, the whole idea behind it is to release someone that was held captive through the payment of ransom. So in the Bible, it's, it's often coupled with the image of slavery, right, which Jews would have understood. So if you go back to the book of Exodus, uh, the children of, of Israel were captives in Egypt as slaves for 400 years. And just as God's people were were held as slaves in Egypt, the Bible will say that we were held as slaves. We were held captive to sin and death and were, in fact, enemies of God. But Jesus satisfied God's wrath and God's justice by giving his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins in our place. Bible tells us that he lived the perfect life that we couldn't and that he died the death that we deserved so that we might experience a life that we never deserved, otherwise known as grace. Getting something you don't deserve, that's, that's grace. 
Um, Paul will write it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, said, simply saying, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A verse that's called the glorious exchange. Christ takes my sin, and in exchange for it, he gives me his righteousness. So it says, He, he gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. So, so get this, God's purpose of grace is not just to save you, it's to cleanse you. He freed us from the power of sin and death, not, not just so that we might go to heaven when we die, but that we might be presented pure, that we might be made clean. Now think about what a promise that is, right? So, so not only will he save us, but he'll make us clean. In 2 Corinthians 5, again, this is the way Paul puts it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the old has passed away, and see the new has come. So, so get this, right? And this is where I think we've missed the, the mark in, in the way we've presented. The, the plan of salvation, because we'll talk about how, how um, God wants to forgive our sins in Jesus Christ, which is absolutely true. And if we do that, um, we, we're saved and we're promised eternal life, which is absolutely true. But the part that's missing in that so often is that God saved us, not, so, not just so we get like this get out of hell free card and can walk up and, you know, no matter what we've done in our lives, we can slap that down and say, see, I trusted in Jesus when I was like six years old and I was baptized in a Baptist church, so you have to let me in. That's not the, that's not the point. The point is that God frees us from slavery to sin and death that we might live in light of his grace, that we might be made clean, that we might be made pure. Which leads us, look at here, at the end of 14, which makes us people eager to do good works. Now, now again, we don't do good works, right, um, in order to um, earn God's favor, but what we see clearly in Scripture is that, that works, living in such a way that brings glory to God, following his commands, is, is the fruit of a life surrendered to God. In fact, in, in Ephesians, Paul's going to tell us that, that God has already prepared good deeds for those who are followers of Christ. In, in Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now think about that just for a second. If, if, if he wants us to be eager for good works, as, as Paul says here to Titus, in Ephesians, Paul explains to, to the church at Ephesus that God's already prepared them ahead of time. Do you know what that means? I think that means you don't have to like rack your brain, and you don't have to stress out like, man, what is the good works that I'm supposed to do? Like, if I miss that, am I totally off the map? No, because we believe that, that God's designed you uniquely in such a way with a, with a combination of talents and abilities that are not an accident, and it just might be that God's wired you in such a way to walk in the good works that he's prepared for you. 
Doesn't that sound like grace? Hey, here's some, here's some things I want you to do. No, oh, by the way, I'm going to wire you. I'm going to give you the gifting to do it. So, so simply put, that means that like, if, you, if you can't play guitar, the praise team might not be your spot, right? Like, I mean, can, can you develop that talent? Yes. Can you develop that skill? Absolutely. If, if you can't sing, the choir might not be the best. I mean, well, let me change that. You know what? We want warm bodies, so we don't care if you can sing or not. Sarah was giving me a look when I said that. She was like, hang on. <laughs> that's, yes, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> See, it's important that your people know the word of God so they can correct when things go wrong. <laughs> this is the promise. That God will make us clean. And that he's already prepared good works for us to do. We get to be a part of seeing the kingdom of God expand as we're obedient, as we allow him to clean us, as we're obedient to walk in his ways. And here's the last thing, the proclamation for godly living. So look at the proclamation, verse 15. It's simply a command here to Titus, right? Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. We've already discussed Jesus' call for his followers to make disciples of all nations, right? To, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've, we've talked several times uh, through the, the pastoral letters about Paul's call for Timothy to take what he heard from Paul and to pass it along to faithful men who would be able to teach others also. That's back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Now, now Titus' job here as a, as a preacher, as a proclaimer of God's word is is twofold. Paul says, I want you to encourage and I want you to rebuke. And proclaiming the gospel requires both of those things. Encouraging people, telling them about the grace of God, rebuking them, calling them to repentance, calling them to turn away from sin and to trust in Christ Jesus. Essentially, Paul here is, is telling Titus to do what Scripture does. To, if we proclaim Scripture, we say what Scripture says, right? 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, where Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and for training in righteousness. There's some encouraging there, right? Teaching, training in righteousness. There's there's rebuking. It says it um, explicitly, and it says to correct. So Titus's job as a, as a preacher, and, and I would argue my job as a pastor now, is, is to do that, to encourage, to encourage you to live faithfully, and also to rebuke when, when, when I see someone denying godliness and instead choosing to pursue godlessness. Now, while preachers and teachers and elders have a unique role to fill in this, we've talked about that extensively, it's still the job of every believer to proclaim the gospel. In fact, it's interesting when you read the book of Acts. What we see in Acts is that it's normative. It's a normal occurrence for those who were not apostles to be 
seeing to, to see people come to Christ through their proclaiming the gospel. In fact, at the beginning of Acts 9, I believe it is, when after, right after Stephen is stoned to death, there's a sentence in there that's really interesting. It says, and all except the apostles were scattered. The apostles stayed back in Jerusalem. It was kind of founders of the church, the, the, the main preachers and teachers stayed back in Jerusalem and everybody else fled. But do you know what happens throughout the rest of the book of Acts? The gospel explodes throughout the known world. We see the apostles doing some of that, but, but for the most part, it's, it's not those men who walked with Jesus for three years. It's people who come to trust in Jesus. And as they're, in some cases, fleeing for their lives, they're sharing the gospel with people they come in contact with, and the gospel spreads throughout the known world, as far as they knew it then, in in the period of about 30 years. It's fascinating. So we proclaim the gospel. We proclaim it at work. We proclaim it to our family. We proclaim the gospel to our neighborhood. That's why we have a a bulletin board back here that says, who's your one, right? Because earlier in, in May and in early June, we, we, we spent some time looking at the, um, the responsibility that we have as, as followers of Christ to be sharing the gospel. And, and I, I love seeing uh, the, the blue pins popping up there occasionally, which just means that, hey, I've had a conversation with somebody. We have a, a pile of green pins down there at the bottom that, uh, that the green pins are when our one accepts Christ. So as you walk out, I would ask you just to stop and take a look at that and pray over some of those names, especially the ones that have the blue dots on them. Those that don't yet, pray, pray. hey, let's, whoever this is, whoever this one is, um, pray that, that their person has the opportunity this week to share the gospel with them. By the way, if you notice, there are other little strips on there, so you can add ones, Okay. So this is not like, hey, man, I shared the gospel with my one, and, you know, that conversation went all right, but, man, I'm done now. No. The goal is a green pin, and then you put another one up there on the bulletin board, or we just keep it going, all right? The, the last sentence here is interesting. Let no one disregard you. We're never told specifically here what, what Titus's age is, um, but it's likely that he was a young man. Uh, close in age to Timothy, so, so uh, somewhere younger than 40, maybe, maybe mid-30s or so. And in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul encouraged Timothy, and he said, he said, Let no one despise you because of your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. By the way, that's kind of like the, the, the theme verse for all youth ministries ever, right, to teenagers. I was really excited when I realized that... that um, Paul was still calling Timothy a youth in his mid-30s. That, that was very exciting to me, all right, that he was still considered a young man. And this is a similar encouragement here, I think, to Titus, right? Don't let your youth be an excuse, but continue proclaiming the gospel faithfully. Now, here's why I think that's important for us, right? As a church that's grown considerably younger over the past couple of years, um, we, we are blessed with with young couples under 40, we're blessed with young families, lots of young kids. So, so there, there are a couple things here, right? I think, first of all, don't, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. 
but instead study, faithfully proclaim the gospel. And yet at the same time, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, there is great wisdom to learn from those who are older. As I I shared then, you know, it's, it's a great irony of life that Oftentimes, by the, by the time we gain wisdom, we've lost the strength of youth. And when we're young and dumb is, is some of our, our strongest years. So could it just be that, that those of us that are younger need the wisdom of the older, and, and those of us that are older and wiser need the strength of the, the younger? Could it be that God's designed that in such a way so that as we're dependent upon one another, it reminds us that we're all dependent upon God's grace and his goodness. All right, so as we wrap up, um, Martin Luther, the the great reformer, had had a great reminder out of this passage. He simply said this. He said, I live each day as though Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is returning tomorrow. So I live in light of of what Christ has done for me, right? I live in light of, of Christ's sacrifice on the cross because of me, and today I live in that resurrection power that that he's given to me because he defeated sin and death, and I live in light of the fact that he's going to come back someday. That gives me the motivation for godly living. So the gospel reminds us that we're empowered to live godly lives because of the grace of God. We have the promise that God's grace will be with us each and every day, and we have the responsibility to proclaim the gospel, this good news of God's grace to the world around us. So let's do so faithfully. Now, if you're here, as I said, and you've, you've never come to know Christ Jesus, you, you can't live this way on your own. It's not possible. So if you're here and you've not come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to turn from sin this morning and to trust in Christ. And as you do, you'll join a family of people who are learning what it means to continually trust in Christ as Savior. You can do this today. We've put some words on the screen. This is not a magic formula. It's just a, a way for you to kind of frame a prayer, um, asking God to forgive your sins through Christ Jesus. and Just to simply pray, Lord Jesus, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, to die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all and I will follow him. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that before. Today you feel God stirring something in your heart and, and, and you need to turn from sin. You need to trust in Christ. As we stand and sing in just a moment, I would love to visit with you. I'd ask you to come down here. I'd love to visit with you, pray with you, show you how you can do that. Maybe you're hearing the Lord stirring in your heart and there are some things that, that you need to lay aside. You need to deny sin. You need to put sin to death in your life so that you can pursue Christ. And If that's you, the, the altar is always open. You can come and pray and lay that down. I'd be happy to pray with you as well. However the Lord's leading, you respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for the the blessing to gather together as your people, to worship you through song, to proclaim 
the goodness of your grace. May we be people who live every day in light of the grace that you have shown to us. That we would deny godliness. We would be putting sin to death. That in your great mercy you would reveal sin to us. Reveal those things in our lives that that don't need to be there. That even as believers, we we would be continually turning from sin and, and continually trusting in you. Believing that your grace is sufficient. Living in light of the fact that, that the struggles we experience here are temporary. Because we know one day you're coming back to set everything right. May those realities empower us to live godly lives pursuing you, pursuing relationship and and fellowship with one another and proclaiming the glorious truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.